to the Respublica Podcast Morning Edition with Breakfast Burritos and Linden. So Linden, where do we get these burritos from? Lucky Boy. Lucky Boy. World famous Lucky Boy. Yeah. They need yeah. another article, dude. It's been a couple years. It's no, like, I, I, post, I posted an article uh, from Eater Magazine. They are the most sold breakfast burrito in Los Angeles. Guess how many breakfast burritos they make per day? Around 250. No. How many? 4,000. 4,000? 4,000. I thought the article said 250. I have to reread it. Oh, I mean 4,000 a week. Oh, oh, oh 250 okay. a day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of breakfast burritos. And it's huge. It's about the size of a forearm. You know, if I had five of these, I could make a burrito Voltron. <laughs> That's how that sounds really be. delicious, too. Now, the great thing about this breakfast burrito is that it's kept up with inflation. Mm -hmm. So it's indexed according to inflation. It's only nine dollars. It's like the Big Mac index. It's like the Big Mac in index that used to run in the Economist magazine. Uh, salute to the Economist. You know we knew you well. Does anyone read the Economist anymore? When they paywall stops. Yeah, <laughs> I think paywall really stopped uh, us from reading places like the Financial Times. Oh, I brought you a fork. And here's some napkins that I won't use. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, you got to get into it. You know, it's that, that way you get the salsa all I the do, way the burrito. I do pay for LA Times, though, because I just click on too many things and just got tired of getting paywalled. And, oh, really? Yeah, because I have that I can just read and keep up with stuff, especially during COVID. That's when it really was worth it. Absolutely. By the way, happy COVID anniversary. I know. To you. That's you helped me move this weekend, this past weekend last year. That's right. The streets were dead. Bro, we moved a mattress on top of my truck, the mattress that was floating off the truck. Yeah, did not quite fit. Did not quite fit, uh, but you have a queen-size mattress. That was the last normal thing I think you and I did. Yeah. And you moved right into the heart of the pandemic, mm -hmm. right into Midtown on La Brea. It's a, it's a good area to be in, but we certainly didn't know about the pandemic when we scouted it out. It's definitely an area that's more, you want to walk to places and all that, and that that's kind of been out, so. No one knew. Yeah. In fact, I, re I remember ridiculing all these girls having brunch at Little Door mm -hmm. on La Brea. I'm like, man, these girls are going to die. They're either going to die of coronavirus, or they're just going to die of realizing how hollow and meaningless their lives are without brunch on Sundays. So how... Filling and meaningful will their lives become as brunch returns. Well, uh, maybe this year episode title: "The Return of Brunch." Yeah, or as brunch returns. <laughs> as brunch returns, we have a show title. But I actually wanted to talk about the stimulus. Mm -hmm. And before we started recording, you mentioned uh, the three hundred dollar unemployment, uh, additional three hundred dollars, mm -hmm. and I mentioned. That's right at the equilibrium point where it's not so much that it discourages people from going out and finding work again. Mm -hmm. And restaurants, for the most part, are hiring. Mm -hmm. And retail stores are going to be reopened again. Yeah. So <laughs> there's an incentive to go out there. And there probably are going to be jobs available. At least here in Los Angeles. It'll be interesting with retail how much is, has been solidified online? 
because the, obviously the trajectory has only been up for a while, and the pandemic exacerbated that. It'll be interesting to see if there's some flow backwards. There already was in Q3 and Q4 from Q2 where it was almost all aligned, but now that we have 2020, which is an aberrational year, mm-hmm. and everybody's kind of reported their yearly results, it'll be interesting to see what this first year, first quarter that overlaps with the pandemic last year yeah. does in terms of online sales. Like Nordstrom projected a little bit of a backslide in online sales. Well, I think most big box retailers like Target, Best Buy, and Nordstrom are going to see a lot of their sales for the last year were online because they really had to move in that direction. And it just accelerated what was going to be their business plan of the future. You know, Right, a lot of companies said we're, we're where we thought we would be in 2025 and 2020 in terms of online sales. That was a popular refrain during earnings for the last year. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously the small mom and pops will benefit. They have a less robust online infrastructure if they use online for shopping. So they'll certainly benefit. So Main Street, what's left of it, unfortunately, will do well with things reopening. But I wonder for big box guys, how much of the equilibrium will solidify that, let's say for Nordstrom, it's 50% of their business is online. You know, is 50 the kind of the point, that nice point in the middle. And like the exporting goods, I think it was around 30, but was interesting in the sense that out of that, oh, I think it was 34, 70% of that 34 was fulfilled by the store. So people still went to the store, but they did curbside or in store. Yeah, that's the future of retail. I mean, um, it's like a hybrid model, essentially. It's a hybrid model of retail. Like when I went out and got my son uh, an iPhone mm-hmm. 12. I had to order it online and I had to go to the Best Buy and pick it up curbside. Mm-hmm. And it was already activated and ready to go. All I had to do was just punch in this uh, code that was texted to me so mm-hmm. I could activate the phone. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that really is the, the future is that you drive up and, you know, you pick up your item. And it's the only way that big box retailers can compete with Amazon because yeah. everyone's competing against Amazon. So we'll see what happens there. Now, the STEMI, mm-hmm. or the $1,400 STEMI, is probably going to drop tomorrow on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. They are already, that uh, people got it deposited in a pending deposit for Wells Fargo over mm-hmm. the weekend, but it didn't go through. Wells Fargo, my money's there because I put my money in Wachovia, if you remember Wachovia. I remember Wachovia. Um, yeah. Opened an account Wachovia in 2008, so I had a Wachovia account for like all two months. Um, so I didn't really choose Wells Fargo. I didn't mind it. But honestly, it they're like one or two more sketchy things away from me moving my bank account. And then, you know me, George. I'm lazy. Yeah. And I'm not super principled. But like, it seems like Wells Fargo goes out of its way to be a cartoon villain of a bank. Mm-hmm. I mean, where they just rewrite mortgages and just take more money out of people's accounts and then take them to court and pretend they never did it. I mean, they, there's some scummy stuff they've done in the last 13 years since 08. They, I, I don't know, pre-08, I can't remember if they did anything like this, but I remember, especially since the recession, it's just been like one scandal after another with them. No, post-08, they're responsible for signing people up to a Wells Fargo credit card. And it's oh, yeah, that's right. That's what it was. They were yeah. signing people up without signing them up. Yeah, they were signing them up because... Uh, uh, employees were being incentivized to sign people up for the credit card 
And if they didn't sign people up for the credit card, they were taken to the back room and coached on how to sign people up for the credit card. Yeah, um, incentivized is, is, um, is more like coerced, I would say. Incentivized is like, hey, you get a bonus. Coerced is when you do, hey, you might lose your job or we'll put you in a less desirable position or just we'll constantly social pressure you if you don't sign up all these people. That's right. So one thing I did not like about Nordstrom, by the way, hmm. you were borderline coerced to sign people up for a credit card there too. Well, I remember I used to work at Nordstrom in the shoe section, but and, if and you wanted your, your Jimmy Choo's, you pretty much had to get a Nordstrom card. If you want them early, you did. Um, because they always have those preview days, and you have to be, you know, you right. have, to have a credit card. But I just did not like. I did not feel comfortable about that part of the job. Is one, one thing I really did not like was the pressure. I only signed up like two credit cards in four months because I just didn't like it, and I knew I was working there seasonally. So I was like, were they going to fire me at the end of the year? I mean, yeah, if you're a seasonal <laughs> worker, you know that's coming down. Their their bloodstream, their bloodstream, and how to survive is you know signing people up for credit cards. Well, Wall Street loves it because it's you know it's high margins like. You just get to make money for being a credit card, essentially. Like, you don't have to invest a ton up front. You have to have some infrastructure, but a credit card is a great way to make money in a, in a way that's more guaranteed, more safe. Obviously, like, even look at this. If you move from in-store to online, you're still getting the money if, you have the, if you're the credit card business. Mm -hmm. So credit card is a great industry to be in, but it's just unfortunate to see retailers, which is where it's not supposed to be their focus, or banks, where, I mean, it's part of the business, but it's not really the reason you have an account there. Yeah. And yet, that's where all the pressure is. Well, I mean, to segue away from banks, one of the things I started using a lot during the pandemic was Venmo. Because you really couldn't go and get to a bank if you yeah. needed to pay someone. So if you had to pay the gardener, or you had to pay the plumber, or you had to pay someone, you know, because you borrowed money from them or whatnot, Venmo was super easy because you could do it all online. You could just, you know, link it to your credit card or your bank account and then Venmo cash back and forth. Yeah. No, so, Venmo is also nice in the sense that they obviously don't charge a fee unless you're trying to move a large amount in a short amount of time. Exactly. Venmo is not a sponsor of the Respublica podcast, yeah. but we do use it. Yeah, maybe it should be. <laughs> yeah, Venmo, come. Come on over. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I've had Venmo for a long time, but it's definitely made its worth. And even like, a business I go to that's cash only now takes Venmo. Now they still won't take credit cards, but it, at least they give the option in their sense of remaining cash only, but being more flexible to what's going on now and understanding not everybody wants to carry cash. Oh, most restaurants aren't taking cash. Yeah, I've seen that too. I mean, at the very beginning of the pandemic, I remember last May, I didn't go out that much, but when I did go out, it was it was no cash. You know. They would use Venmo, PayPal, and that's what gave rise to Door, Door, DoorDash. Mm -hmm. DoorDash is becoming a part of people's lives. You know. Oh yeah, and that's a, it. Also, but it also has made people ask a lot of questions. I don't know if you read the LA Times piece on Spoon by H and how they were essentially vampired out of existence by these delivery services because they charged such a big nut, they're charging like 30%. So now 30% of the revenue, which they're desperate for during the pandemic, goes to these delivery services, which is, we'll say, a lot more than what they started out as and a lot more than what they promised as. Oh, yeah. Now, there's been some blowback. I think LA, either city or county, capped it at 18%. So they're not able to get away with 30, 
at least here. But still, it's... I'm glad it exists, but it, it's kind of scummy how they run their business. Like, have you read about how they'll buy phone numbers? Yeah. And then pay Google to essentially show the DoorDash number? Yeah. So DoorDash gets the sale instead of the restaurant? Really? Yes. Wow. So then they that. take their 30% off the top, and people think they're just calling the restaurant. Oh, that's 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 insidious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that wow, I didn't know that. So if, that. If Fox News wanted something to go after, this is what they should go after. Not right. not Dr. Seuss's family, who decided to take their own books and the ones that people didn't really buy out of publication, and yet people are mad and out of spite are buying Dr. Seuss's books. Like yeah. the state that took it out of circulation is profiting wildly. From the way Fox News are in the Dr. Seuss story. Well, that's also so. We're going to come back to the stimulus, but something that did happen during the pandemic that I'm very thankful for is the creation of this new app called Clubhouse. Oh yeah. And you and I were part of a discussion on Clubhouse called the Outrage Machine. Yeah. And the Outrage Machine was an incredible discussion led by an editor at Forbes magazine, where the media literally exists not to report the news. But to sensationalize it in order to get a reaction, to get an emotional reaction, and to get you engaged in the story. Now, to be fair to the media, which I know nobody wants to do, the money in the industry right now isn't doing that. Like, you need reactions, you need clicks, et cetera, et cetera. The best way to do that is through generating outrage. So to be fair to the media, we're in an economic era for them where that's where the money is. Yeah. Like, it, you know... There was some of that, but you were fringe in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. If you People avoided you because that, like newspapers were still relatively safe. Well, newspapers were dependent on advertising. Right. So the, the Ford auto dealership didn't want you to you know, support you know, the Sandinista Contra <laughs> government because the guy... Or the Capitol March. Or the Capitol March. Exactly. So... Uh, hey, you know what? Uh, boot up Clubhouse. Let's just go live on Clubhouse right now while we're recording this. Maybe we should do this from now on. Do, do a dual live. Yeah, dual. We're going to go live on Clubhouse while we're recording the podcast. Oh, wow. They actually, I might cut this, but um, they, I read somewhere they do not want you to uh, do podcasts on Clubhouse. Like, they own the rights to that. Oh, they do? Yeah. Like, Uncle Sam's got my, my digits, you know. That sixteen hundred gets withdrawn. I know where those bombs in Sierra are dropping. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know who's paying for them too. Yeah, man, them bombs is expensive. Do you think we'll see a cutback in military spending? No, no, okay. No, I, I think under the Biden administration, I think it's the Pentagon budget won't increase outside of modernizing, you know, the Navy. You know, because there are a lot of ships that need to be taken offline because they've been in service for more than 25 years. Mm -hmm. You do have the Joint Strike Fighter, the next generation fighter that's coming online, mm -hmm. the F-35. Yeah. Uh, the F-22. The F-3.5 trillion. I mean, it's not yeah, really that yeah, much. No, but, no, but the, <laughs> the F-35 is a smaller version of the F-22 and it's complete air dominance. I mean, it doesn't even have to be in the, in the same uh, territory as an enemy fighter and it could still knock it down. I know, it's just, it was so expensive. <laughs> it is, but it's a next generation fighter. Yeah. And where its operating theater is gonna be in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Hi, welcome to Military Times on yeah, the yeah. Republic of Podcasts. 
Yeah, this is you, dog. Yeah, the operating theater that it's going to have in the Middle East is going to make it so that Iran doesn't have any illusion of crossing the Persian Gulf and attacking Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia and Israel are going to be, outside of Britain, are probably going to be the two largest buyers of the F-35. And that's going to create a lot of jobs here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Lockheed, Raytheon, uh, Boeing. You know, all those contractors are down here in the South Bay right. and uh, in North Carolina as well. Yeah. So the Navy, some of the Navy ships are going to go offline and uh, there's, uh, I don't see, I see military spending keeping up with inflation, but I don't see it growing the way it did, say, under uh, 41 and uh, 44. And 44. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I only say that because I'm starting to see bipartisan and commentary online that we need to spend less on the military. Like I know a guy who's like almost borderline all right on my Facebook in the military right now. And it's like, we spend too much on our military. And I'm like, well, if that guy says we spend too much, maybe there's starting to be, you know, some coalescing we can do around that vision. But you're probably right in the sense that a Democrat can't bring the idea up. I mean, a Republican has to be the one to cut spending. Well, and, and there, there, it's no longer a theme in modern political discourse to increase military spending mm -hmm. when you're floating a $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Yeah. I mean, $1.9 trillion, that's a lot. The size of the American economy is one point... That's 20. $20 trillion? Yeah, that's the GDP. That's the GDP? You're probably thinking of tax receipts. Tax, receipts, tax receipts might receipts be going three. Yeah, okay, I'm thinking tax receipts. Because it definitely exceeds tax receipts. <laughs> like, yeah, man. This is going to be... a. a I don't think you have to run get that a, Nordstrom's credit card. Yeah. I don't think you have to run a zero deficit, but I do think it's wise in normal times, which this is not to be fair, but I think it's wise in normal times to run a deficit that's closer to two to three percent of your GDP. This is going to be wildly past two to three percent. This is the wildest thing you're ever going to hear me say as a Republican. It makes sense to run a deficit right now, yeah, because the interest rate is literally zero. Yeah. That is also true. Money is It costs nothing cheap. to do this. They cost nothing to pass a $1.9 trillion stimulus. Mm -hmm. However, we can't do it again. Yeah. Like the next package that Biden wants can't be bigger than $1.9 trillion. I was opposed to the 2017 Republican tax cut because I thought a day like this may come and we were leaving ourselves no outs because we were already running a pretty heavy deficit in normal times with Trump. And there was no offsetting and spending. And honestly, that's polluted the discourse as well when you talk about how the discourse has changed over the last five years. Is before, if you were going to increase something, you had to decrease something out. Like everything had to at least somewhat balance, especially in 2010 to 2014. That was a huge thing, was doing a balanced budget. But after 17, it was clear to everybody that Republicans only care about the national deficit when they're not in charge. No, no, absolutely, because the debt is an existential crisis mm -hmm. to Republicans, mm -hmm. like global warming is an existential crisis to Democrats. Right. We don't call it global warming anymore, we call it climate crisis now. Yeah, So rebrand. <laughs> Rebranding in 2021. Now, as an effect of the climate crisis, we now have inflation, mm -hmm. because gas is now uh, 354. In Los Angeles. Yeah, I saw that. It's a dollar more in California than anywhere else in the nation because of our environmental laws. Right. Okay? 
So the basket of goods and services that a person can purchase on $15 an hour has suddenly, suddenly shrunk. Right. So this stimulus package that's coming out, mm-hmm. don't go out and buy the new Carmine Air Jordans, you know, with your stimmy, you know, <laughs> put it aside and have it kind of offset fuel prices, food prices, electricity costs, because that's all going up. Well, and I've read an interesting thing that this essentially democratized printing money, where we've printed money since 08 to some degree or another to cover for the economy. But the problem is it was being captured only by the highest, like 10, 10 to 1%. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if you looked at stock market, you could see inflation. But the stock market isn't used in the basket to measure inflation. Like we would be freaked about freaked out about inflation if the stock market was part of that measure. Exactly. Because if you look at price to earnings, it makes no sense why stocks are this much. But people have nowhere, especially rich people, have nowhere to put their money because they don't want to just hold on to dollars. So they're putting the stock market and put in real estate. So now yeah, you're seeing, and it doesn't make any sense for them to put it in the bank because they're going to get taxed on it with capital gains and zero percent interest. And zero percent interest, you're not going to make any money if you keep it in the bank. So the best thing to do is put it out in the market. So thanks to Janet Yellen, who's mm-hmm. now the Treasury Secretary, she's good at one thing: print money. Print money. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Make it rain. But However, now prices are going up. Yeah, but the problem was. If you look at the stock market and real estate as part of the basket of goods, which mm-hmm. we probably should, prices have already been going up for the last 13 years. Yeah. Because people needed somewhere to park their money. But those things weren't measured in inflation as core household goods. So we've essentially, it's like we're, we have a game going on and we're only keeping score of seven tenths of the activity. And all okay. the rich people play in the, th- the other three tenths that doesn't get married. Mar- uh, watched yeah and so inflation kind of has already been until now thanks to gamestop Mm -hmm. gme to the moon (laughs) with reddit because now you have retail investors that are organizing you know on an online forum that have the money Mm -hmm. probably used a portion of their 600 dollars stimulus from january Mm -hmm. to buy option shares well there's also finance bros that are on that board too so it's not all like you know, Jimmy who works in accounting, like there's people who make good money that work on Wall Street that are in their 20s mm-hmm. that enjoy, just enjoy the environment. Well, that enjoy beating the system and the yeah. system is, you know, that the, those hedge funds. Yeah. You know, oh, so you didn't want to hire me? Fine. I'm going to show you guys right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Space Monkey 209, here's my due diligence and this is how I see, you know, the second quarter panning out. Okay, Space Monkey 209 is lit. Did you see AMC? AMC's popping. AMC is popping, but I will never buy AMC. You know why? Because it's owned by the Chinese. It's not anymore. No. Nope. You say that? Yeah, it just came out. Uh, Wanda has divested over the last uh, either six to twelve months. They're down to like fourteen percent stake. Really? Yeah. Because they have to pay a lot of debt off in China. So they liquidated their position in AMC. They hired the law firm here in downtown Los Angeles, Gibson, Dunn, and, and Crutcher, mm-hmm. you know, to do their bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So now um, AMC's stock blowing up has kind of saved them from bankruptcy. Right. But it's good that the Wanda Group, the Wanda Group is this huge real estate They're like the Simon, firm. if you know Simon Property Groups in the yeah, U.S., they're exactly. kind of the Simon of, of China. Yeah, they are the Simon of China. 
But in more stuff, like most Chinese companies. Most Chinese companies are in more sectors than U.S. companies are. Well, I mean, if you want to see how to really manage a financial empire, China started from nothing in 1977 to become complete and total conglomerates. They're in textiles, shipping, manufacturing, and real estate. And the Wanda Group is a great example of that. If you ever want to take a deep dive, you know, look up the Wanda Group on Google. I wonder what Lenin is thinking in his grave of what communism became. Because it's really ca- it's just capitalism now, but it's still state-run. Well, it's. I think it goes back to what Marx said. This is awesome. We're eating burritos in California. We're talking about Marx on a podcast. Is that the workers finally have ownership of the means to production? So a communist would just say that this is the end game. The end mm-hmm. game is that the people now own the means of production, and they benefit from you know the capitalization. Mm-hmm. Because you look at China in 1977, they were in dire straits. People were starving. And now it's a complete flourishing in just 40 years. I mean, that's the true economic miracle of our lifetime. Like, I can still remember a time when I was in college where there were no tall buildings in Shanghai. The tallest building in Shanghai was still the old uh, English uh, import exchange house. It's... The other thing that's interesting about that is that you're starting to see them have quote unquote first world problems. Their population's getting old. Now partially because they, they did one child themselves, but now they're having more trouble having people have kids. People got used to not having to pay for kids, and people got used to some of the trappings of middle class and upper middle class life. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is income inequality is becoming a bigger issue there. Okay. Now, obviously, it's not a democratic environment, so you're not going to hear about it online as much. But there's certainly some class resentment there. And it's interesting because there only ha- is class resentment because they've been well enough off for the last 40 years to have anybody that's actually really rich. Well, you also have a, a real estate bust. The, the real estate bust is because young people aren't getting married because the men don't have partners. And the, the men that are of mar- marriageable age and income don't feel they have enough income to buy property in order to start a family. So I'm so glad that you introduced declining birth rates into the discussion because for the last two weeks, it's kind of been my obsession that pensions in Europe, especially mm-hmm. Spain, Greece, and Italy, are going to explode. Mm-hmm. Mainly because of the four two one problem. Four grandparents, two children, one grandchild. Yeah. As the grandparents get older and the parents get older, that one grandchild isn't gonna have enough economic output to support six people. And thankfully, we have immigration here. Yeah, we have immigration in the United States, which keeps us at parity. Yeah, that's one thing, too, that upsets me that we don't talk, like, Republicans don't mention this in good faith. Oh, hey, man, the next Republican president is going to be DeSantis (laughs) from Florida. He's going to be the first Hispanic president of the United States. Very pro-immigration. Super pro-immigration, you know, and Hispanic. Mm -hmm. You think he's going to win? He's fucking going to win, bro. You think he's going to win in 2024? He's going to win 2024 because I think he's going to, he, he, they're going to, there's going to be in a gentleman's agreement between DeSantis and Trump 
Trump is just going to back him 100%, and then all the mainline Republicans are going to get right behind him because if it's not DeSantis, it's going to be Trump. Yeah, and they would rather DeSantis than Trump. They would rather have DeSantis than Trump, and the future of the Republican Party is Hispanics. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just wonder if... We don't riot, (laughs) right? Uh, I don't know, bro. It didn't look like it was all white people out there when the Lakers won the title. and there was It was my people, bro. <laughs> it was my people out there. Um, Making America great again. <laughs> who do you think pays these bills? Who do you think makes this burrito? Right? Who do you think pushes this country forward? Pushes this country forward. Who's, who's having babies? Huh? Mm-hmm. Huh? Right? It's like that scene from Johnny Brasco. When there's still an optimism in America, like... Immigrants, not all of them are wildly optimistic, to be clear, but generally if you're coming here, you see something positive about it and you want to make it better. Yeah, people are still coming to the United States. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're dying to come to the United States. Partially because the United States make conditions in their home countries to where they (laughs) they have to try something. Now, the elites in those countries have failed them. Oh, for sure. It's yeah. not all the United States. I don't want to do the whole yeah. everything. You, I'm because just saying, the U.S. tipped the scales in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. The, the argument is that through cultural imperialism, the United States makes the conditions in these feeder countries like Mexico and Central America so dire that people have to come to the United States to escape poverty and starvation. The reality is that there are some wealthy people shocking in Mexico. There oh, for are sure. wealthy people in Honduras, El Salvador, and Nicaragua. But these elites have completely betrayed the trust of their nation. They don't keep their money in the bank of Nicaragua. You know, they keep their, their money at, you know, the Wells Fargo on um, Brickell in mm-hmm. Miami. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's capital flight in these countries, and now there's a brain drain in these countries. Because the hardest working, the most dynamic people are leaving these countries. Yeah, they see what time it is. Yeah. And and it's time to go. It's time to go. But I I do think the U.S. is not blameless. Like, I I, I disagree with people who blame everything in Central and Latin America on the U.S. But I do think the U.S. hasn't been the best policeman, we'll say, of the Western Western Hemisphere. And it's unfortunate because... Mm -hmm. It would help everybody if those countries were more affluent and more stable. Yeah. It, because, it, frankly, it affects the quality of U.S.'s democracy when you have politicians that are able to rail about people coming here to immigrate, which overall I think is good. I think people should want to come here, but it should be because conditions are so awful. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 an interesting dance happening in Texas right now. Greg Abbott is trying to position himself as a national candidate for president. Yeah, that's why he unleashed Texas. <laughs> no masks, no rules. That's why he opened up Texas. But he's, he's also pantomiming all of uh, Trump's rhetoric at the border. Mm-hmm. That The constituency that responds to that is dying out. Mm-hmm. The new constituency, guys like you and me, having burritos, you have your own business, mm-hmm. you, know, you have a family, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't... That doesn't even hit. Yeah. That doesn't even... It, it flies right past us because it doesn't make an impact. It's stupid and a waste of time. It's, it's stupid and a waste of time. Thank you for being so eloquent. <laughs> Just 
they will have to embrace the Hispanic community because they have a shrinking uh, voter base. Well, and it's so crazy to me because they should want that voter because that voter is more culturally conservative than the average white person. That's right. They should be dying for that vote. Yeah. And yet they're just basically pointing a gun at him and telling him to run. Yeah. It's insane to but, me. But well, I think what it will have is, uh, getting back to the whole pension question, demographics are destiny. Mm-hmm. And the demographics throughout, you know, the the Southwest mm-hmm. and for a large portion of the South is that Hispanics are now the majority minority group in this country. You know, they well outpace, you know, all other groups by volume in terms of home ownership. So they're inherently conservative because mm-hmm. they own property. Right. Okay? And that's where that's where the discussion lies is in an ownership class. Mm-hmm. So what you'll have in the next four years is a division, a deep division between an ownership class, mm-hmm. you own businesses, you own property, you know, you own assets that are in play in the market, mm-hmm. and individuals that are disenfranchised, that own nothing. Mm-hmm. And a large group of those are young people saddled with like $10,000 to $60,000 of student debt. Mm-hmm. So. Now that we've passed the 1.9 trillion stimulus deal and everybody's just waiting to buy their new Air Jordans, mm-hmm. the next battle is really you know, the for- forgiving uh, student debt, federally insured, fa- federally backed student debt. Hopefully, which this will never happen because now I'm going to sound like the Republican, but hopefully worked in with an agreement like Yang said where FAFSA is only going to start backing schools that are actively trying to reduce costs or at least not increase them. Yeah, absolutely. Because we can't just fix this every 20 years. At yeah. some point, we can't, we can't just write blank checks. I mean, it's kind of why like, I want Medicare for all, but at the same time, our healthcare system doesn't give a crap about reducing costs. And until, I mean, they, they just they don't care about the bill. Education is the same way. They don't, especially higher education. Public education is hit or miss with that, but higher education doesn't give a crap about the bill because they don't have to pay it. Well, I think one of the compromises, one of the things that is going to happen, I do believe that they are going to forgive student debt, mm-hmm. but there's going to be, please put down the year you graduated and what you majored in because they want those statistics. Yeah. Those statistics are incredibly valuable. And if the majority of the student loans that are being forgiven are outside of the STEM fields, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of pressure on high school counselors mm-hmm. to remedy the situation. Like, if you want a career, if you want to get into the middle class, get a STEM degree. I, I struggle with that because, at least where I went to school... Dude, we both got degrees in economics. Yeah. Right, that's, that's like considered that, liberal arts. Yeah, yeah, that's considered liberal arts. So that but that means, taught me how to think, dude. That means that we can we can attach sentences to math. Yeah, <laughs> like, but that taught me how to think, and so the idea that my degree isn't important because it's not science, so it's not directly monetized. No, but the correlation. See, the statistics going to come out if sixty percent of the student loans that are forgiven are forgiven for individuals that majored in sociology, psychology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Art history, mm-hmm. English, language arts. I would I would push back hard on language arts because I did read a piece 
a couple years ago, I think it was by a hiring manager at Silicon Valley, that they said, you know, there's obviously legalities with these things because you can't preference any candidate over another. Yeah, but exactly. they said, off the record, all things being equal in the article, I want an English major because I, I know their emails will look great. And so much of the industry, no matter what you're in, is having good emails. Oh, yeah. And so I do think while we fetishize STEM, English is... I wish I doubled in English, honestly, in retrospect. Well, I mean, the golden rule of business email is never end your email with a proposition. Yeah. You yeah, know? don't put pressure on them at the end. Like, exactly. That's, that's kind of always snake oily. Yeah, where, 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 where is it at? Mm-hmm. Like, no. <laughs> Could you but, please give me a timetable on when these will be received? But, I mean, I can't tell you, like, there's people in high positions I've had emails with where their grammar and their spelling are... Yeah, um, man. Not great. No, man. It's like, whoa. <laughs> like, how did you get that job? So let's put talking this in, like this. Let's put this in context. Constructing an email and your grammar is kind of like parallel parking. You know who's good at it, and you know who's bad at it. Mm-hmm. There's no way to hide it. No. But that's why I would say, like, I don't think we should fetishize STEM, but so much because English, like, an English major is important. And my thing is, we don't know the future. So right now, STEM seems like it is the future. It's the only thing that matters. But, like, look how much more important English degree is now than it was 20 years ago. Well, the, and versus 40 years before the, that. The reality is, is that STEM should encompass some type of written communication component to it. It just can't be pure math. It just can't be, you know, the, the kid who's hiding behind his computer and he does these incredible calculus equations. Mm-hmm. Then he plays League of Legends. Yeah. We had a kid called Sheltoid in high school. Yeah. He was valedictorian, but couldn't communicate. And it, it, it was a tragedy because he was so smart, but I don't think anybody ever worried or focused on trying to get yeah. his communication skills developed because yeah. he was able to skate by because he was the smartest dude yeah, and, and, ever. And this is why we have the podcast. Yeah. You know, so we can freely communicate our ideas over a burrito. Thank you, Lyndon. You Thanks, know. George. It was fun. Yeah, so uh, we're going to post this episode up, and uh, we look forward to your comments. Wait, George, Hmm. we have a Democratic president again. Yeah? So what made you happy this week? The Stimmies, bro. The Stimmies are coming. I have something. Okay, this is what made me happy this week. My Mm ex-wife not only gets a stimulus check, Mm -hmm. but she also gets the child tax credit. Nice. Which is invaluable, because the true... I mean, the people that lost their lives and lost loved ones during the pandemic, I feel for you. I lost an uncle mm-hmm. to it. But women, especially uh, working career women, had to make a lot of sacrifices this year. And that $3,600 you know, child tax credit that gets paid over a year, mm-hmm. that was an elegant and wonderful piece of legislation. And I'm glad it was included in the stimulus. We have a long way to go with how we treat women, but it is a start. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, what, uh, Women's History Month? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> what yeah. made me happy? Yes. Rain. Oh, it rained! Yeah! No, yeah. <laughs> people in L.A. lose their minds when it rains. It makes me so happy when it rains. And it, it's March, as you know. We've had a kind of dry, rainy season. Uh-huh. Usually, marches aren't great for rain if if everything before has been slow. It's been nice to see how much rain we've gotten this week. Oh, yeah. Actually, don't you remember last year? I think one of the things that saved us was how heavy it rained the week right after you moved. Yeah. The week right after you moved, it came down in a downpour. And I, 
I actually remember being in Little Tokyo before you had this space mm -hmm. and going to Donatsu, mm -hmm. the gourmet donut, donut place. Mm -hmm. And it was pouring rain to get uh, some donuts for my girlfriend. So that's where I'm going today after oh, this podcast. Nice. Well, well shout out for Donatsu, not yeah. a sponsor. Exactly. Not a sponsor. <laughs> yeah, that way we can walk off the burrito. That's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Cool.